All right, guys, if you missed out on Freight Fest 2023, I feel for you. I know you're punching air. However, Freight Fest 2024 is going to come sooner than you think. Right now, go to www.freightfest.com. Early bird tickets are available. Listen, we're already planning for next year. It's going to be crazy. We are already lining up the speakers. Uh, make sure you stay tapped in with us for all the updates, but get your early bird tickets right now for Freight Fest 2024, happening on September 26th through the 29th at the Royal Sinesta Galleria Hotel in Houston, Texas. All right. Go to www.freightfest.com for more updates. I can't wait to see y'all there. Let's go. What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I was born in, in Colombia, Medellin. My dad used to own a bus company in Colombia. And growing up, especially seeing him dealing with so much headaches, I said to myself, I, I would never want to run a bus company. When I was doing about four to five million dollars in sales revenues, I was doing everything on my own. And it was all the Empress way versus now is the, the DPV way. And ideas without actions are just brain farts. And my main goal and invitation to all the listeners to make sure that the nuggets that you, that you hear from both of us say that, that you actually execute them. My name is Dan Perez, president and CEO of DPV Transportation Worldwide. You are now listening to Truck and Hustle. Turn my mic up. For you. Take there. Yeah, yeah, uh. On the road to the riches, life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. All right, all right, Hustle Fam, Hustle Fam. We are back with another amazing episode. And today I am in Everett, Mass., which I believe is pretty close to Boston, Massachusetts, uh, with my man here, Dan Perez of DPV Transportation Worldwide. What's up, sir? Excellent. Thank you for having me on your show. Man, th thank you for thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me to your place. Beautiful facility. We're sitting here right in front of a, one of your beautiful pieces of equipment. Uh, what, what's this? What are we looking at here? We're looking at a 55 passenger motor coach. It's at least uh, half half a million dollars worth of equipment right there. Ooh. Yep. Uh, this is um, we specialize in, in luxury transportation, not just regular transportation. So we. This is one of the, the coaches that we use to transport teams, um, uh, teams for universities, corporate events. We also do uh, city to city transfers, uh, weddings. Uh, our main niche is mainly in the corporate sector. Uh, so we have two divisions, which we could probably dive. Yeah, we'll get into it. it. We'll get yep. into it. All right, cool. So luxury transportation, ground transportation, everything from smaller shuttles, 18 passenger vans to large 55 seat uh, coaches. Right. Coaches, yep. And, and we also sorry. To no, again, so, you're good. And then we also have uh, low floor transit buses. So we we partner with transit agencies and Fortune 1000 companies that are looking to create a. Uh, transportation programs to to create employee shuttle services so we have this type of buses uh small coaches between small buses between 24 to 32 passenger coaches and then we have the the low floor transit buses that could accommodate anywhere from 30 to 60 
All right, guys, Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now, let's get back to the show. Uh, riders. Got it. How many vehicles you guys got there? I saw a ton yeah. when I pulled up. So it fluctuates between 75 to 100, depending on the season. Okay. But it's about uh, 75 uh, vehicles to 85 currently. Uh, obviously, we took a hit during the pandemic. Uh, but I always say that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> For sure. And then we got punched in the face, but we were able to get right back in. And now we're stronger than, than ever before. Uh, and then now we have offices in, in Boston, New York, Connecticut, and in New Jersey as well. Okay. All right. Yeah. So let, let, let's get into the origin story, man. Let's, let's try to understand how we got here. Um, you might be the first person in Boston that I meant that doesn't say Boston. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. I don't know if you were born in Boston, but, uh, yep, you know, yep. let, 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 let's let's get into that story. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Where, where are you from? Talk about growing up just just a bit real quick. Sure. Thank you for asking. So I was born in, in Columbia, Medellin. So this is why I don't say Boston. Uh, <laughs> yep. However, I was uh, I was raised here in Boston. Um, my dad used to own a bus company in Colombia and growing up, especially seeing him dealing with so much headaches and frustrations, uh, as he was running the company, I said to myself, I, I will never want to run a bus company and Hey, I got the, I don't know if it's a cursing or a bless, but I, I take them both. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I, I grew up, um, in Boston. I was a wild teenager getting into a tons of. Uh, travel growing up on my teen teenage uh, years, and definitely you know one time I, I it, it's my second time that I got arrested. Uh, I was just you know I was I was seventeen and a half, and my girlfriend at that time was was we were we were going to have a children, and when we got arrested, one of my friends he was just hanging out and. He didn't mind just being in the jail, and we were going to be there for two nights. And I was just going wild because I didn't <laughs> want to stay there. And he was just hanging out and not caring about being there. And just something within me, what do you call a spirit? God said, hey, this is not the lifestyle that I want. And I just got to change my behaviors. And my dad has been always been an entrepreneur. My mom is highly educated. Uh, she's an attorney, um, very predominant with, with education and, and about you know, integrity, right? And I was totally the opposite way back when I was a, a teenager. So something in me, whether again, what you call a spirit said, hey, let's let's get your shit in order. Let's get in the right track. So I, my dad keep complaining to me about kicking me out of the house. And I said, just give me a freaking job. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he helped me get a job. And I started working at this, at this company, mainly as an independent operator. And I was bringing... You know, um, I was I started as a driver, so I, I learned obviously how to deal with with customer service, um, sort of the the operations, uh, all the intricates of of the business, and I got into school for electrical engineering. And as I was going to school, I would bring this van to, to the school, and one of my and so first of all, all the all my friends in in college because I went to school for electrical engineering, all, most of my friends used to make fun of me. Cause I was driving this this van, right? Right. And 
So one of my teachers realized that I, I was driving this van to work and said, hey, Dan, why don't you start transporting the athletic teams? You know, taking them to the basketball for basketball games, soccer games. I was like, as a good entrepreneur, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Right. So I. And how I started, old are you at this point? I was about 17 and a half, 18. So you're still young. Yeah. So I was okay. just about 18. Okay. Um, and I was paying. And, and the reason why I say this is because I was paying crazy rates for my insurance premiums. Um, so I started, I started driving the van. I started driving all these athletic teams between Boston to Connecticut, uh, New Hampshire between games for local games. I did a great job. He referred me to another school. And then from that other school, he referred me to another school. And then a year later, he awarded me with a three-year contract to officially transport all the, the teams for the school. Mm. So from there, as as I was ready to graduate, I was booking jobs between classes, answering and dispatching vehicles during my class. And it's funny because today, earlier today, I got interviewed by the school uh, to sort of showcase me as, as one of their success stories. Right. And as of today, one of my teachers, my main teacher, he said, at the, end of, at the end of the semester, as we were graduating, I forgot who asked him, hey, who will you hire within the classroom? And he said, I know who wouldn't I hire. <laughs> and he said, I would, I would not hire Dan Perez because he's always showing up late to class. <laughs> but I will, I will have him run a business because he created the best business plan for the semester. Wow. And that's all I care about. Yeah. I, yeah. I went to school mainly to check the box on my mom's behalf. In my parents' behalf, but back then I was very anti-education. Uh, However, with throughout the years and throughout the sort of peer-to-peer -peer groups that I get myself involved and all this network and masterminds that I belong to, as one of my mentors said, it will be stupid not to go to school and not right. to get highly educated. Because now when I when I go into these meetings and like now I understand the game. That's right. Like I see Harvard graduates and they just come up with ideas out of a box and they just raise a hundred million over. I don't know if it's a stupid idea or not. Yeah. But they just get millionaires, multi, multi millionaires because they just have that high level of intellect to, you know, develop an idea and have venture capital. Back support it, out, it. Support it. Yeah. yeah. So I will definitely go back to school if, <laughs> if I was to get the chance. Which I am. I I I, would, I tell myself I'm I'm not self-made because I had a lot of people support me in my journey. Yeah. And I have a lot of folks, especially my team, that supports the journey. But if I had the chance to go back to school, which I still am, I would do it within a heartbeat. Got it. Got it. Got it. I love it. So let, let, let's kind of talk about the journey. Rewind just a bit. So you said 17, 18 years old. Your dad gets you a job. Now, you said your dad owned a, a bus a company in, in uh, Columbia. Correct. So he was still operating that company from the U.S. Or how, how did that work? Sure. Yeah, I appreciate you, you bring me back. So what happened was when I was 11, uh, back in the day, probably about 20 years ago, it was, you know, and especially when we had Pablo Escobar and all these different drug cartel situation that was happening in Colombia, we were just forced to immigrate uh, to the States. And my dad ended up going bankrupt because during that uh, civil war, the guerrillas and, and all this civil war, they pretty much burned the buses that oh, he wow. had. Wow. So we, he pretty much went bankrupt. How my large mom, was the business? 
Um, it wasn't it wasn't too big, but we were doing really good as a family, right? We went from being a middle class to high class family in, in Colombia to being debt broke here in the states. Got it. You know, um, so my mom was a was an attorney, and she was also a fiscal attorney. So she was prosecuting criminals, and again, back in the day, it was just very dangerous. So we were about to get kidnapped, mm-hmm. and the best. Uh, thing to do was just, just to bring idea. the whole family. So I I came to the states with my with my sister. And how old were you when you came to the states? Eleven. Okay. Yep. So not knowing not knowing the language, and pretty much my mom guided me through to to keep me in, on track. Between my my dad always has given me the entrepreneurial spirit. Right. I never seen him working for someone else, and he's always he, at the beginning he was either cleaning restaurants by himself as an independent operator always coming up with this creative idea so he sort of enhanced me and um created that that entrepreneurial spirit to just trust the unknown and there's a lot of folks out there that they want to execute on 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 their entrepreneurial spirit but they have a lot of limitations right right correct a lot of barriers so my dad made it easier for me to just say hey yeah entrepreneurship is really hard it's really hard, and as of today, he still comes around the office, and freaking, let's just say with DOT compliance, the tires has to be a certain weight, and and they cannot have any uh, scratches or whatever. And he comes in, and if they throw a trash, and it's a thousand dollar tire, that he will pick it up and put it back so that way they could use it again. <laughs> so I'm constantly telling him, hey, dad, just. Step out of the business. <laughs> I have a lot of love for you, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he doesn't know how to, you know, he doesn't understand how hard it is to to run, uh, you know, two hundred employees and and all these different components. But I would say, yeah, to go to back to go back to your question, he definitely uh, mitigated that friction for me to really embrace entrepreneurship. Understood. So when just going through the story, so when he when you guys come over here, you're eleven years old. Does he start another business at all, or he, he's just like kind of fig- so, figuring out his way in the u.s or what's going so on? at the beginning he worked at a ton of restaurants uh because he obviously he was illegal in this country and we had to work ourselves through restaurants my mom was working at hotels we just chasing the american dream so yeah. we were living between we started living here in boston then we wasn't doing as good so we moved down to new york for about two three years then from new york we we moved to north carolina to North Carolina, we ended up back in New Hampshire. And then my dad just said, hey, let's go back to Boston. This is where we have family members. And we're just going to, you know, do the best we can in Boston. And we came back. And throughout the years, you know, my mom was able to get us uh, legalized in, in, in the country. And we were able to obtain better opp- opportunities. Got it. Okay. So as you said, troubled youth, you know, like a lot of us were, had your, had your issues, but um, you still had that entrepreneurial spirit. And you, t- you said, Dad, I, I need to do something. He said, get a job, right? So you find this opportunity. And what did you say you were doing? You, were, you, you got a, a, a van to transport yep. what again? So we were transporting passengers. Um, so I actually asked my dad to help me get a job. Okay. So he helped me get a job where he was working at the company that he was Got working. it. So he's working there and he Correct. got you. Got so you he got me the job. Okay. And then. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, 
but my life. Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts. And throughout the months, it probably took us about 11 months. Throughout the months, I realized how they used to, the service was horrible. They, the culture was horrible. Definitely mistreated all the employees. And something within me said, hey, I just, I want to create something different, something better. Uh, first of all, I want to create a great service, like a white glove service where people like really get an experience. It's not about just going to the airport. It's not about just, you know, um, going into a meeting, but it's the experience that you get on the way to the airport. Right. Where you have a professional chauffeur, not an Uber driver. It's just an experience. Right. So I said, well, let me embrace it. Let me let me do something different. And I kind of knew already the the operations of the business. And most importantly, I want to create a culture where associates will be treated with respect, where we could amplify their self-esteem. And I said, let me let me create a business and, and let me create the family culture. And nowadays, as you look around this building, we have a lot of core values that is all about I see him. Uh, family oriented, respect, right? And and that's one of our main core values that we used to hire, that we used to hire and to fire. Got it. So when you start working with this company, they they didn't provide you with the van. You had to bring your own van. Correct. Okay. Got it. So you're like an owner operator. Correct. Of yeah, sorts, right? But you're just doing the work for them. They're providing the jobs and you pick up whoever they need you to pick up. Correct. And you said somebody comes with the bright idea and they say, hey, why don't you start transporting the kids? Right. Back Correct. and forth. The sports teams. All right. So once you kind of make that pivot, obviously you dissolve that relationship and now you're going into business by yourself. Correct. So is that the birth of DPV at that point? Correct. So that was the birth of DPV. At the beginning, I pretty much started the business from my parents' kitchen. I turned the the house phone back in the day when you had uh, a house phone. I turned that lane into my office. And then whenever the phone rang, I will used to tell all my nephews like, hey, Make sure that if the phone rings, you got to shut up because it might be a customer. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and then no one could have picked up the phone because that that was a house phone, but it turned it into a business. Yeah. So fast forward, my my dad was one of the drivers. He was also one of the partners back then. My brother was also a partner. My sister was also a partner. But what I tell everybody is it took me a long time to make money. And the first four five years we were losing money year over year my brother was like 16 he's like dude i can't keep up giving you money and, and not getting any any returns right and he pretty much he just resigned on his equity and so did my my sister and then my dad remained for about a year or two but then he keeps going back and forth between boston and columbia and then it wasn't lucrative for him He's like, hey, then it's just only lucrative if you just do it on your own because there's really not enough profits for all of us. Yeah. So fast forward, and it took us about seven to ten, almost to ten years, which 
sometimes I feel even bad saying 10 years. <laughs> but that goes to all the, the folks that are just getting started. And if you're going through a hard time and, and you've been creating a startup and if you have a business for seven or 10 years and, and you're not um, making profits or you're just barely making any profits, hopefully this gives you an inspiration to just know that you know, all this shit that we see on Instagram about instant gratification and how people get millionaire, you know, how they become millionaires overnight. The shit ain't a reality. You <laughs> That's know, right. That's right. There's not an overnight success. Why were, you, lo- why, why were you losing money in those initial uh, years? It's a good question. Um, I'll say it. I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, between not knowing what I was doing, really understanding the the business, understanding... I was working hard, but I wasn't working smart. So now I focus on working really, really hard, but very smart, yeah. right? So between bringing the right A players, which 50% of my bottle right now is making sure that we have the A players within the team, making sure that we always, and even and my HR manager freaking hates me when I say this, but getting rid of the bad tomatoes. Right, there's this this bad tomatoes that has to go because they will damage the the culture within the other good tomatoes. Um, and even though that's not a good example, but it works in business at least for for us it does. Um, so that's fifty percent of the bottle. The other thing that it, that it didn't work is I didn't know much about finances, about marketing, about sales, about strategy. And when I realized where the industry was going and when I realized that, you know, every time that I went to a seminar and really went into depth understanding how to hire right, how to fire, how to create culture, how to let go, right? Because when, when you're a startup, you just, you get attached to employees at, at, at a particular point. And I remember having a breakthrough when I, when I fired back in the day, one of our managers, that she was actually restraining the business to go into the next level. But I was so attached on to just having that that manager right. without realizing that she was actually restraining the business to move forward. So just those little breakthroughs, as you I always said, you know, if you feed your mind, your mind is going to feed your pocket, <laughs> right? I like so that. So I started feeding my mind and my business skills, and, and little by little, it you know, the ROI started coming in. Okay. So when you were working with your family, did they all purchase their own vans or were you kind of purchasing the vans for them and putting them in the vans? How'd no. that work? We're really going deep. <laughs> yeah, so, and this is the first time that I tell the story. Yeah, so my my sister used to own a, a van, my dad used to own a van, and my brother used to own another small vehicle. And then little by little, they just start selling their, their equipment because they wasn't making any money with it. Got it. But then I had one of my, I always sell myself okay what are what are my superpowers and now when i look back in the day is perseverance discipline and hard work ethic right so i was committed i made it a non-negotiable i made it a mission and there was weeks where i was just working day and night and literally not sleeping i, I remember where i had meetings uh, like really important meetings coming up and I wouldn't sleep for four days mm. because I wanted to make sure that everything was in order, making sure that I have all the systems in place, making sure that I was going to impress that a specific client that was con- coming to visit us because it was a non-negotiable. Right. And and as of today, I still I still have it as a, as a non-negotiable. I still have it as a mission. And most importantly today where we have 200 employees, 
for for me, it's not just about me. It's the pressure and knowing that I have 200 employees and I call them associates, not employees, depend on me, that their families depends on the decisions that we make within our senior leadership team. That's right. So I could, I could, everything in life is, I have, uh, I say that, um, people, you know, it's all about decisions. People with the best life has the best decisions, right? And That's as right. easy, as easy as it sounds, the easiest things in life are the ones that we normally don't do. Like, <laughs> oh, you got to sleep right. You got to eat right. Yeah. You got to go to the gym. It's easy. Go do it. Right. <laughs> and a lot of people don't do it. Go That's read. Right. Right. Go read. And be consistent. And be consistent, right. So so going back, nowadays I'm very conscious and mindful of how, knowing how many families depend on the decisions that we have. Because, again, I'm, I'm 35. I'm single. Uh, I'm well accomplished for my age. I could be partying left and right and, and doing whatever I could be doing. But 100%. I, I chose to not to. You know, as we were talking earlier, I my, my is my legacy, is the impact that I'm having on society. And with my children as well, you know, yeah. I have a 16 year old and a six year old and a 16 year old and a six year old, two boys. And, and I want to make sure that I, I live this planet, you know, better than, than I found it. Got it. One way or another. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Continuing along with the story. So once they decide to leave the business, do you, do you, uh, absorb those vehicles or do they take them with them? And are you just start left with one yourself? So I took little by little, I took over one. And we had to sell the other one. Okay. Yep. Okay, got it. And then what is the, what is the core of your business at that point? What are you doing? What, what's the main uh, business model? At I was you're... I was still doing a lot of the uh, athletic teams transportation, okay. where I was transporting um, soccer teams to go to to their games, their home local games, their away games. I was still doing corporate events. I was still doing a lot of airport transportation back then when we didn't have Uber. A lot of companies will request group, uh, transportation for groups, so it was bread and butter where we were transporting folks from from the airport to downtown and so forth. And most importantly, companies that had corporate events and they needed a chauffeur to drive their employees for a corporate event for six eight hours or for a city tour, and we would just drive them for ten hours, mm. and that was really lucrative. Got it. And and how did that work for like let's say for example to drive the sports teams did you have to bid for that how, how did it how did you get I, I know you found some of those opportunities because you had somebody who kind of introduced you to them but did you have to bid for those opportunities did they find you kind of talk talk to so talk about so that. those were more word of mouth but I'm always a huge proponent on making sure that I found the a faucet right like I'm trying to unlock the faucet that I could just get consistent business yeah and that faucet was mainly in the corporate sector in the financial sector so once i moved more from athletic teams to the corporate sector working with with banks where they needed to they have a million or two million dollars in 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 their travel program and they spend then two million dollars in car services that's the accounts that i started chasing Mm. and once i had an account for two hundred thousand i started getting another one for four hundred thousand until we knocked it out of the park and we had our first three million dollar deal and that was that was my that was one of our most exciting deals because i worked really hard on it but i got super creative i went like four days before really present for the really prepared for the presentation took pictures where we were picking up and dropping clients 
And during the presentation, I show it to the client, to, to the board and to the decision makers. And that was one of the things that, that really helped us gain that business. But it, again, for it just made us stood out from the whole crowd. Yeah. And and and, I, and I'm, that probably changed the trajectory of the business and kind of turned everything around, right? Correct. And then from there, mm-hmm. one of my other gifts is being the visionary. So I'm, I'm mainly the visionary and we'll also have integrators in the business, which is more, um, our second person in command. Uh, which she focused more on the day-to-day operations. My main objective as a CEO is to to focus on vision and strategy. Uh, so back in the day, I realized that Uber was definitely sort of destroying the industry or really penetrating into the industry. And I decided to sell most of our equipment where we were doing sedans and SUVs and transition more into the large equipment because it, it would have been harder. There's more compliance for Uber and Lyft to get into that market. And that's how we sort of we sort of transition. We still operate, we still offer chauffeur services on a global scale, but we don't own the equipment. Mm. We outsource it to third parties, <clears throat> like a broker. Where we became a broker essentially. Okay, okay, got you. So when you when you got the opportunities with the uh, with the 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 corporate opportunities, how did you know that those opportunities even existed? Like, did somebody tell you about them, or how did you find those opportunities? It's a really good question. I I started doing work for other ground transportation companies, and mm. I realized that they were servicing banks, pharmaceutical companies, meetings and events. They were servicing the conference, the convention center. So when they had huge meetings, they needed a bunch of transportation, and they were going to these companies that were tailoring their marketing message to those folks. So it started clicking in my head. Well. If they're doing it, how come I cannot do it directly instead of getting 30% less than what I'm making right now in profits or just in general, right? And most importantly, I was building a business on someone else's platform. Right. And for all the folks that that are listening to the show, uh, one of the books that helped me tremendously is The the Millionaire Fast Lane. And he talks about how you're not supposed to create a business on someone else's platform. So, for example, a buddy of mine was running a $20 million, $20 million business in Amazon. And then Amazon overnight came in and said, hey, you know, we don't want your products or services anymore. You're done, right? That's it. You have no control. Yeah. So I, I, I want to make sure that I stay away from those platforms. Got it. What was what? What's most important to them, like for them to work with you? What are the things that that would make them make the decision to go with DPV as opposed to somebody else? How do you stand out? How did how did you differentiate yourself to make them say, hey, I want to work direct with you? Correct. So as I mentioned, a lot of things have, have changed back in the day and still as of today, it's making sure that we deliver a white glove experience with professional chauffeurs that they be in background, um, background tests, that they, um, they know where they're going, that they really appreciate high customer experience right is I, I i couldn't i could not only say well enough how much we care about the experience making sure that when we're taking you to the airport that you are you know because most of our clients could be especially in the black car service so, so we have two different divisions we have our chauffeur services that is on a global scale and then on, on the buses so on the chauffeur side we want let's just say most of our clients are celebrities c-level executives they don't want someone to, to start a conversation. You know, they have their meetings to run. Uh, they're talking about 
mergers and acquisitions, buying public companies. So it's all this confidentiality that happens in the in the car right. that you cannot have in an Uber or in a taxi. Right. So just respecting, respecting so, the privacy. Correct. So respecting the privacy, making sure that the car is clean, making sure that the the chauffeur is well dressed. So those are one of the the real the pillars that that are critical, especially back in the day. Nowadays is more into obviously the customer services, but the technology experience as well, mm. right? The the easier of, of book access. Uh, but nowadays we focus more on our main niche as of today is partnering up with Fortune 1000 companies that they need to have a transportation program to transport their employees from one location to the other location or within their campus or within the uh, train stations, let's just say. So that's why we have offices pretty much throughout the Northeast, including uh, New York and New Jersey, uh, where we focus, as an example, with Morgan Stanley, where they need to transport their, their clients from the outside of New York into Manhattan and then outside back to, to uh, Morgan Stanley. We have clients such as Pepsi, where they have a huge headquarters and they need buses within the headquarters uh, to transport their, their employees on a daily basis. And it could be... 24-7, or it could be from business hours or all day. And, and so it, it, nowadays we focus on consistency, reliability, and making sure that our vehicles are top-notch. And most importantly, we are minority-owned. And I'm not sure if you if you guys go deep into uh, minority-owned businesses. Yep. And this is one of the biggest nuggets for me personally, for all the listeners. If you are a minority-owned company, this is definitely, before I used to look at it as a as a weakness, and I always, I'm always aware of what is the stories, the stories that I'm telling myself, and the story that I was telling myself when I was 18 to 22 as a, as a Latino uh, business operator was that, you know, I had a, I had a weakness of just being a, a Latino entrepreneur, um, uh, you know, the decision makers are probably racist and they probably won't choose me because <laughs> um, I'm Latino. But nowadays is one of our biggest strengths, uh, especially in marketing. I was using the analogy of using the sniper approach instead of the rifle approach. Explain that. Yeah. So with the with the rifle approach, you just you just approaching everybody. Right. You you want to do business with everybody. You created marketing for the masses. With the sniper approach, you know exactly how your catch looks like, how tall is it, how does he look like, how he talks, how he thinks, and then the message is really tailored to that individual. So when I shoot, I'm going, I'm shooting right in, into the target. Mm. And that was another game changer that really helped us unlock easily $10 million in sales revenues when we really identified, okay, we're going after companies that are supporting minority-owned businesses when an, when an opportunity and when a bid comes out, we're going for those opportunities and we have an edge to get into those contracts because they want to do businesses with minority-owned communities. Mm, got it. With minority-owned businesses, sorry. Got it. How competitive is, is your industry? Very, very, very. So at the end of the day, um, you could be minority certified, but you still have to show your proven track record you still need to meet your safety standards you still need to you still need to show up and and conduct business just like any other business but most importantly you need to exceed the expectations right um, so it's really competitive it's all about 
especially as you scale, right? When I was doing a million dollars in sales revenues, we could just come up with a pricing model and and we were just shooting to make a little bit of money. But nowadays, if we bid on a, on a $5 million deal, and if we don't know what we're doing from a price model perspective, we could be losing a million. Yeah. Right? So as we scale, it's like really having all the processes and systems in place. And most importantly, the, the financial mechanisms to identify how we stay competitive within the marketplace. Because a lot of the prices is, is, is market driven, right? If it's, let's just say as an example, these coaches normally go for $175 an hour. And there's contracts that we cannot bid at $175 an hour, depending on the market, depending on the insurance requirements. So a lot of a lot of times we say, do we want the business? Do we need the business? Is that the type of client that we really need? And and most importantly, one of my mantras is, and I and I tell this to Fortune 1000 companies, is are you looking for a partner or are you looking for a vendor? Mm. And when they understand that. And when we understand where is our position, we're speaking the same language. Right. Because number one, we're going to be profitable. And number two, we're going to exceed their expectations because we're making money and because we enjoy being their partner, because we enjoy providing the services then. Versus we've been in situations where we're the vendor, we hate each other, <laughs> we're losing money, and they're painting the ass to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Now that that that's that's really interesting. I, I love that uh, the sniper rifle uh, approach. approach, and 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 like you said, you have to know like you know what you, you not know what you want, and you have to you know tailor that message to that person right, directly. Yeah, most importantly, and 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 to add a little bit on that anecdote, lately with my marketing team, we just said, hey, what are they actually thinking, and how do we become their thoughts? Pretty much, yeah. When they think about buses. When they think about car services, how do we make them think about DPV? And what are the frustrations that they have and that we need to solve within their mind? Right? So just like thinking in the in the in the eyes of the customer instead of our instead of our eyes and perspective. Because a lot of a lot of businesses come up come up with this beautiful websites, but it's all about me, 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 right? And then so like yesterday I was coaching one of my mentees. And she trains all these football players. And, and when I checked her website, it didn't say nothing about football players. It didn't say nothing about celebrities. I'm like, your website said something. You're saying something, but your website's saying something different. Mm. It's kind of what I always said as a, as a CEO and as a father. What is it that I'm saying versus what is it that I'm doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I love that. All right. You, you kind of touched on pricing a little bit, and I want to dive into that a bit. When you're coming up with a price model, what are some of the, the, the key things that you have to think about, right? What, what impacts your bottom line? Um, I guess what's the, what's the most expensive cost to like, and then some of those other like mid-level costs that kind of impacts the decisions you have to make in terms of price. Yep. So, so nowadays we have a more robust pricing model based on, on our experience based on the data that we have accumulated throughout the year. So we understand patterns. We understand how much it's costing us to, to run a bus, how much it's costing us for maintenance, how much it's costing us per fuel. So we pretty much have a bucket of lists for allocations where we know, okay, like fleet, it's going to be X, Y, Z. Labor, it's going to be a percentage. Fuel is going to be a percentage. And we put it all into a formula 
and based on the hours of service, based on the hours of service and utilization, we come up with a price per hour. Mm. So it's, it's really industry driven, I want to say, but it's very applicable to a lot of folks in the transportation space as well, including logistics, to really understand what's your gross profit margin, what EBITDA are you shooting for, but most importantly, um, your operating cash flow, and most and most importantly, your free cash flow. Mm. Because before, I was super excited looking at a P&L and said, oh, wow, we made a million dollars. But what I didn't even know is that we could be losing a million dollars. But in paper, you look really good. But <laughs> when you look into like really understanding your financials now is critical. Because again, I'll go back when I had a year where we had a million dollars in profit margins, but we were actually losing money. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you know, investors and, and the board will look at it. Not, not so much the board, but banks will look at it sometimes. It's like, oh, yeah, you did great. A million dollars in EBITDA. Yeah, but we were losing money. Right. And then when I really, and I go back into, I'm addicted to success in a good way and addicted into self-education. And I took a bunch of uh, financial courses and once I noticed that, like really understanding free cash flow and operational cash flow, I went actually back to my fractional CFO and say, dude, why you never told me about this? <laughs> right? He's like, well, yeah, I've been trying to tell you about this. I'm like, no, because we're freaking losing money. <laughs> right. Right? So nowadays I'm able to look at those patterns and tell the folks in the finance department, tell my CFO, hey, if we're going to be burning cash, this is what we need to do. Right. Same thing in operations. So I'm managing by the numbers. And especially for folks in the transportation and logistics space, if, you, if you're not understanding free cash flow, if you're not understanding operating cash flow, I highly recommend it to take a course to really understand your numbers. Because otherwise you just... You're working like a chicken without a head, and that's what I did for ten years. Yeah. So nowadays, I'm not looking to do it anymore. Got it. Did Did you ever take? You just mentioned investor. Did you ever take on venture capital? No. Okay. So um, my brother used to own a a part of the company, and he about a year and a half ago he decided to go on his own, which I totally supported him. He's a business consultant. He's super smart, and I bought him out. He's, I bought his equity out, and I own 100% of the stock of the company. Got it. Got it. So you pretty much bootstrapped everything. Correct. Um, so how do you look at in terms of scale, growth, financially? What are some of the, um, some of the like, do you deal with a lot of credit? Are you, are you a cash? If I can't pay for it in cash, I'm not getting it. How, what, what's your methodology behind, behind yeah. going and getting vehicles and so forth? It's all about free cash flow. I go back into the, the free cash flow analysis um, so how do I deal now? So I have $15 million of liabilities under my name. Um, I'm a huge proponent on, on having good debt in your balance sheet. And that's what we do. I don't, I work with, with banks to make sure that we're getting good interest rates. And when I come up with that pricing model, it all depends on interest rates and how long are we depreciating those vehicles. So if I'm bidding on a contract, where I know that this vehicle is going to be utilized for seven years, I'm, also, I'm actually depreciating it on that bid for seven years. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a bus or a truck is the same sort of analogy when it comes into the, the price component. Got it. You mentioned earlier that you kind of became a broker of, of sorts, right? Working Correct. with other companies. 
how are you maintaining that same quality control now working with other people who are not, who may not have the same culture or the same beliefs that you do and don't believe in the same white glove service? How do you manage that? Yeah, I appreciate you asking the question. So we have a quality control team and an affiliate manager. So their main job is to identify companies that will meet our service level agreements. So we are inspecting their vehicles, making sure that they're in compliance from a DOT compliance from um, service level infrastructure. So we, we've been doing it for a long time. So we kind of understand, you know, are you using late model vehicle equipments? Are you using what sort of technology are you using? What sort of training process are you do you have in place? What sort of safety training do you have in place? And and if they meet those standards, they qualify within our our program. So that way they're enabled to to work with us. And then we're just constantly monitoring the, the progress. And then most importantly we have in a survey feedback that would allow us how they perform it on a daily basis. Mm. So that's kind of how we monitor it. Are you like 50-50 your own equipment versus outsource or? No, so we're more like 80% our own equipment. Okay. Uh, okay. We're probably 20% non-equipment when it comes into the Blackheart uh, operation. So let's just say if you need a limo in, in London or in New York, we you call us we 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 call ourselves a, a one stop shop, so you call us and we just coordinate all the ground transportation logistics and you don't know if it's who's doing it in New York or who's doing it in London. All you know is that DPV is taking care of your needs. Wow! Yeah. So you, you did mention that you you guys are global, correct? Right. So how was it breaking into other markets internationally? Same same thing. It's just having all the systems and systems and protocols in place. And once you have the right quality control measurements in place, it's just it's just widgets. But there had to be a connection that brought you that took you globally. Like what what was that that made the the connection to bring you from uh you know local to global? What, yeah, what the, was the that connection is is just seeing that all the companies were doing it, getting educated on how they were doing it, and just pulling the trigger. One day I said, hey, I'm just gonna go global. Mm. After a conference, just knowing how all the companies were doing it and i just said hey if they're doing it i kind of know how to do it now it's just a, a thousand miles away and we're just <laughs> gonna have to use the same process yeah and it's different cultures definitely different cultures with payments where they sometimes let's just say if we do a job in japan they want to get paid right away or sometimes before the trip versus in the u.s you're working with let's just say fidelity investments and you know your money's guaranteed you know your money's not going to go there it's not going to go anywhere right so sometimes it's just sort of like navigating those different uh cultures but the ultimate is the same process same thing how, how do most of these companies pay are they on like a 30-day net or yep that's one of our main challenges most of our so i always say that as as i alluded earlier we're in a we're in a space, we're in an industry that we're, it's very capital intense, very human intense, and it's a low profit margin business. Uh, but how do they, how do we get paid? We got most of our clients are within net 30s to net 60s. And unfortunately, we do have some uh, that are 120 as well. Do you use factoring? We don't because again, it's already a low profit margin business. Right, so so if you, into your yes, margins. correct. So if you're banking 10%, and then on top of that, you're factoring a 2%. It's just right. it's crazy. So you have to carry that cost. But, you know, like you said, you're working with reputable companies that you don't have to worry Correct. about getting paid. 
Correct. You just have to foot the bill until you get the. <laughs> and, it comes and that, in. yeah, and that was another <laughs> lesson that I had at, at an early age too, about six years ago. But I'm, I'm a huge proponent of things happen for you, not to you. Yeah. So, for example, my divorce to go a little personal was the worst thing that happened for me, but it was the best thing that happened. It was the worst thing that happened to me, but it was the best thing that happened for us, for my children, for mm. my ex. And then in business, about six years ago, we were serving this startup. And back in the day, our, our, our balance was very weak. Um, and they we would perform a contract for them about for for about almost two million dollars. And they almost put us out of business. And I learned it's like, well, we took them to court. They did, so they stopped paying. They, they ran out of money because it was a startup. They were backed by private equity and they ran out of money. So the, the lesson nowadays is out of our clients' portfolio, 0.5% are startups. Got it. And the, the startups that we're working with, we are highly educated on do they have, do they raise more money? Are they paying on time? So with our accounts receivables, I'm constantly checking, hey, what's the status with that account? Yeah. Don't let it, you know, don't, don't lose your sight. So as humans, we are, um, we are made on our, on our prior experiences, right? And whether it's personally or professionally. So now we just have more experience and, and just making sure that we have the right systems in place to identify who is, who is running out of the patterns, which is paying, and paying on time, right? Who's performing and who's not performing. And it goes back into putting the right systems and infrastructure um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book uh, The Emit by Michael Gerber. Emit, yep. Yep. So that book also had a good impact on my business. Probably when I was doing about four to five million dollars in sales revenues, I was doing everything on my own, and it was all the Dempress way versus now is the the DPV way. And I go back to to our associates. It's like, okay, did we follow the system that we have in place? And if not, why? Where where did we where did we fail? Right. Right. What are the biggest challenges that you face operationally today? So definitely recruiting is one of the main challenges that we have. Um, we are about 10% understaffed. Sometimes it could be 2%. Sometimes it could be up to 10%. That's one of the, the elements. However, we have a really good, strong HR team, including recruiters as well, where we creating campaigns just to recruit chauffeurs. And we're recruiting chauffeurs in all these different states, right? Including New York, New Jersey, Boston, Connecticut, and every market is different. Right. So definitely recruiting is one of them. Inflation also had a big impact on our business where we were not able to raise the prices to the consumer at the same pace that we were getting the expenses, right? So it definitely took a few percentages on our profit margins. So mm -hmm. that was another critical component. That's in addition to that is is a business that it is is very capital intense. So you constantly have to buy more equipment, buy more equipment, and every time that you buy more equipment, it goes back into eating your free cash flow. Right. So again, you could have an even a positive. But if you own a bus company or a truck company that are not that are not the equipment is not leased, you need to have that reserve for the capex because at one point it's gonna take it's gonna eat from your from your free cash flow. Yeah, yeah. What what are you what are you fearful of coming like down the pike? Looking into the future, 
with just things that's happening, is there anything that you fear that could impact your business tremendously? Appreciate your question. So for me, uh, one of my fears is making sure that we don't run into any accidents, any safety compliance. Uh, recently, we had a bad situation where one of our competitors had an a, a fatality in, in one of their trips and that pretty much put us put them out of business so that's why we have a a safety and compliance department and making sure that we're training folks you know we my brother used to call it we have a lot of moving targets mm. and within those moving targets we have lives that we that we transport this is not cargo right so all these safety mechanisms that we need to put in place is is really important to us. The other component that we're sort of mitigating is is the economy situation, right? We don't know where, you know, I just came back from a conference where we had a ton of billionaires talk about where we're going to be in the next six months, the next 12 months. Half of the rooms were really optimistic. The other room were very negative about the, the outlooks. So you don't even know what to really think. No one has the crystal ball. Based on my experience, I don't want to be making good decisions during bad periods right right like i could like during the pandemic the pandemic was a perfect example even though no one actually that's not an example because no one was expecting it but if we're entering an economy recession and i'm super invested with a bunch of equipment it's not the ideal scenario yeah so i'm sort of playing that delicate line of reading a little bit of the economy situation and sort of Step in the step in the brake on on the accelerator, and then you know hitting it harder as I see that the economy opens more and more and more. So I'm I'm in that duality, and then last but not least, the other two components are the electrical vehicle space, and at the end of the day, the autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles is is a reality. I don't know how soon it will be. Again, we have a, a, a similar podcast where we talk about autonomous vehicles and and electrical vehicles. We are we do have electrical vehicles. But the biggest problem is that no one's willing to pay for those. It's, 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 <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's like, okay, you, you know, the the industry and Fortune 1000 companies want electrical vehicles, but who's who's going to pay for for the ticket? Right. So when this bus is half a million dollars, an electrical bus, the same model, could be 1.5. Right. So the, who's going to pay for that price? So we, again, I go back into partnerships that they will pay for the, for the bus and we just run and manage that that operation got it have you seen a shift in spend in your customers in terms of maybe the 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 money that they allocate towards travel and stuff like that have you have you seen has that hit you at all yet so we've definitely seen a big transition and and the doors opening more in both of the divisions uh and the black car service division we have noticed that folks are traveling more more and more and during the pandemic a lot of car service companies went out of business so now we have more market uh, share sure. and we're able to penetrate into companies that we've been wanting to do business with. On the employee shuttles sector, was, and then we also service a lot of universities too, where they need um, a large program, again, to transport their students within their campuses. We're also seeing their budgets getting tighter and tighter, especially as we hear tech companies laying on so, much, so many um, employees. So I, what I'm what I'm seeing in the market is this sort of pause of RFPs that come up and they taking longer and longer to make a decision 
And once they make a decision, they kind of like prolong it. So that's kind of where we are. But I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Uh, our pipeline is really good. We have built a really good reputation within the uh, Northeast region and especially within the the National Minority Council, which is pretty much all the Fortune 1000 companies that want to do businesses with minority certified businesses. Got it. Do you do you think about or are you at the point yet point yet where you think about exit? You have all this piece of all these equipment that you own, place of 15 million dollars worth of equipment. How do you, how do you exit? How do you sell this equipment off? Do you ever think about that, or are you, are you not there yet? So it's a duality, honestly. There's dates that I'm super pumped because we might close on a five million dollar deal, we might close on a ten million dollar deal, and there's some days that I come in and we had service failures, we have clients that might be upset at us, right? And there's those days that I'm like, ah, should I just sell and? and go to a beach and relax. <laughs> but but I go back into the the impact and, and what I'm doing. Um, I, at the same time, I, I love what I do. I love the team that, I, that I'm working with. Uh, we, we're just having a lot of impact, and it's not about just money. You know, it's like the the impact that I'm having. What I always tell folks that I, that I work with, part of becoming a millionaire is not just about the money. <clears throat> it's the, the millionaire of a person that you become between – your values, your your intellect, your EQ, and the overall impact that you have in society. So whether it's working with my executive assistant, whether it's working with my sales and marketing, whether it's working with HR, I'm having an impact on their lives personally and professionally. And whether the state or not, my main goal is that, hey, Daniel had an impact on my life. DPV, most importantly, had an impact on my life. So I'm, I'm enjoying that journey. But at the same time, we, you know, um, one of my mentors always said, you know, I'm not selling, but I'm willing to listen. Right? <laughs> so that's kind of yeah. kind of where, where I am as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you say you're 35 now, right? You started mm -hmm. when you were 17, just like initiating a business. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned that you could kind of pass on to this audience? If you had to kind of lump it up into maybe two or three. So definitely go into a couple of elements. Uh, bucket number one is really focusing on on hiring the right folks and knowing how to hire. Knowing how to hire is, is in, definitely requires expertise. Uh, one of my main mantras in, in libraries is, is the book Who that really breaks down on how to hire and how to create a scorecard for the position that you're going to be hiring. So when you're interviewing, you're asking the right questions by making sure that you're aligning the, the expectations and the outcomes that you want out of that uh, executive. Number two is just having an, an operation system in place. So we run our business on, on EOS. Are you familiar with EOS? Yeah. So we, we run our business on EOS and the entrepreneurial operating system for all the listeners. And it's within an infrastructure. So we run meetings with a, with a system and we, we leave the drama to the size because we focus on identifying. Can you explain some of those systems yeah. for people? Yeah, sure. So we run an L10, which is, is a level 10 meeting. And at the beginning, we, we start with a segue. So, you know, give me a personal win and a, and a business win, which creates a good a tone for the meeting. Then from there, we go into data. So we're analyzing legislating sales, how many leads we had, how many proposals did we send out, how many videos did we send out this week, 
right? Like all the critical components that we're tracking that we really determine the outcomes. Then we go into our rocks. The rocks is the milestones that are critical for the business that we want to achieve for that specific quarter. Because when everything's important, nothing's important. So if you, and, and, and by the way, the energy goes where attention goes. That's right. Right? So if I have most of my team focusing on, on these four goals for this quarter, their energy and attention is going to go through those, to those goals. So after we discuss the rocks, making sure that they're either on track or off track, we go into the to-dos that we had from our previous meeting. And then a lot of times what we were doing in the past, I would say, hey, uh, John, are you with this to-do? Is due, it was due last week. And they would start giving me you know, reasons and stories. I call them stories and explanations about why they're not on track or why they're not done. And, and, and it's the discipline to run the meeting. So it's on track or off track. I don't need any explanations. If we, if you have an issue, let's drop it down as an issue. Mm-hmm. And then, once we pass that phase of the to dos, we drop, we go into issues. Once we're in the issue list, by the way, this this is a really good question that you ask. Help me understand, because for all the listeners that haven't listened to this uh, content in the past, it will really help you uh, prevail your business to to another level. So in the issue list, that's where the magic happens. So let's just say. Uh, our sales are down. One of the issues is our sales are down by 20%. Okay, why? So we go into at least three to five whys. No stories, why? So ask me why our sales are down. Why are our sales down? Um, their sales are down by 20%. Why? Because we had three of the sales reps um, on vacations last week. Okay, well, why were they on vacation? No, so why? Oh, why? Uh, there was a scheduled conflict. We allowed we allowed the uh, the three selves that we have to go on vacation at the same time. Why? Okay, now we identify the issue. Right. So the the issue is not that the cells are that that our cells are down. Right. The issue is that we have an HR issue or a policy issue where we allow three of the folks to go on vacations at the same time. Hundred percent. But we could have a whole discussion for forty five <laughs> minutes to find out. There's a schedule issue. Yeah. Right. So it really root helps cause. you. Correct. Said, root cause correct. analysis. So it's identify, discuss, and solve. Right. So we go along, then we we track the the to dos out of that out of that issue, and it just keeps everybody on the boat. And then we rate the meeting, and everything in my life is rated on a scale from one to ten. So when I'm so on a on a rate to ten from one to ten without a seven. Okay. Right. So no sevens. Nothing in my life is in the seven. If I'm so I'm right now I'm dating. So if, if you ask me, hey Dan, how was your day from last week? I would tell you, it was a six or it was a it was an eight. Right. If it was a, if it was a, if I'm if I if I tell you as a seven, because I'm trying, it's like a, a you know like the free free car that I'm trying to get, <laughs> right? Um, if it's a six, you know like oh no, it didn't went right. that well. But if the meeting was an eight, it was productive, it was effective. We think we got things resolved. And the team is moving forward. And it just keeps everybody on a cadence. Mm. So before, when we were moving at a $10 million level, we were moving very slow because we didn't have cadence. We didn't have the infrastructure. Now we're at $20 million is we're moving fast, but with a system with a cadence in place. And everybody is rolling in the same direction because they understand what, what is the yearly goals, what is the three-year plan, and what are the main uh, rocks that we want to accomplish for that a specific 
um, quarter. How, how painful was it to get the whole team on board? Oh, it was <laughs> it was it was painful. It was super painful. We started probably with twenty folks in the room, and to to adapt to the new system, and we probably had to let go about fifty percent of the room. But you know, um, I'm, I always say you're either pregnant. Or you're not, you cannot be halfway pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's that that's real, man. And like the, the stuff that you're talking about are truly gems, but implementation is just so difficult. And it, it takes like discipline, it takes consistency, it takes like like resilience. Like you have to keep on pushing because most people will quit. Like when you're trying to implement those processes and those systems, like I can't, we can't get it. All right, you know, and you just have to keep on just yeah like plucking away you know what i mean and that's that's a really good nugget by the way um i'm a huge believer that execution trumps knowledge any day right and nowadays i you know i'm in ypo and i'm in this all these different masterminds and you get so many ideas and especially if you're an entrepreneur and you have a visionary mindset it's even diff it's even e even harder to compartmentalize compartmentalize all these different thoughts and say, okay, which ones do we really need to execute? Because if you just stayed in a, in a train of thoughts and ideas, I'm, I always say that ideas without actions are just, are just brain farts. Right. Right. So how do how do you execute and, and identifying that? For example, one of my weaknesses is execution. So I need to have a number two to go out and execute. I, that his main objective, his mindset. So when I'm interviewing. All I want to hear is um, I'm a go-getter. I'm a doer. Um, you just tell me what to do and I'm going to get it done. I don't want another Daniel Perez that has a thousand ideas on a daily <laughs> basis. Because right. my job, I'm the visionary. I need someone within my team that is very close to me that understands my pains, my concerns, where I'm going, my vision, and executes on my behalf. So in the past, I had really good leaders, whether it was my brother at one point, we had a, a COO that was becoming uh, the president of the company. And unfortunately, unfortunately, he got recruited by private equity and I couldn't compete with them. Mm. And now we have an up and coming COO and just making sure that she understands my language and she, most important, that she executes on my ideas. So for all the folks uh, that are listening to, to the show, is making sure that you, you take the, the rocket fuel test that helps you identify if you are a visionary and an integrator and that will be magic once you identify what is your your core strengths the rocket fuel test you call rocket it? fuel test where do you find that um Online this should be on on eossystem.com or rocket fuel if you there's a book rocket fuel and traction yeah that you could read to implement eos as well yeah now it, it, it's just interesting listening to you i mean you're, you're very you into just learning knowledge you know uh being around the right people Right, that seems like that's been huge. That's been huge. Uh, I'm a huge believer that proximity is power, and the more that I get to proximity, you know, the more powerful that I get. And and again, I don't say this to to brag about myself. I, I I mainly say it to express upon all the listeners the importance of putting themselves in in the right proximity, in the right rooms. Uh, we become the average of the five folks that we spend our time with, and in in every aspect of my life, they say that. You should spend 33% of your time with family and friends, 33% with people above you, and 33% with people up below you, right? So when you 
at the end of the night, I always do sort of an assessment on myself. Like, how did I do as a, as a CEO? How did I do as a father? How did I do um, with my health, with my spirituality, and my relationships, right? So, you know, just, just making sure that I am alignment with, with, in alignment with my goals, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you said you've built the business at 20 million now? Correct. That's where you guys are at. And you said you 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 consistently say you guys are a low margin business, right? So I just want to talk about real fast, like how do you what what do you concentrate on to, you know, maybe make some more margins? What are the most important things? I know we're kind of going back in a business Correct. a little bit, but I'm interested. No, no, no. Totally. Like, what are those things that you concentrate on to get more margin out of your business? So number one, understanding your numbers. So um, they say that you need people in your life to tell you that your mouth stinks because you cannot do it on your own. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so number one is having people in my life that lets me know where my business stinks, especially in the in the finance side, where we are not optimizing our equipment. So number one is increasing uh, utilization. There's a we have gaps within the day where we could utilize more equipment, right? Uh, making sure that we're running very lean with all of our expenses, making sure that all of our associates are following our our procedures of punching in and punching out at the right time, and just making sure that we have systems in place. Because again, when you're when you have five employees, you could just oh, you know they they click clock in clock out, but when you have two hundred, right. it's all about systems and making sure that the system is identifying all these patterns. So every week I'm meeting with our team, hey, house payroll is, you know, it decreased by 2%. Why? Is the overtime, it increased by 3%. Why? Uh, what's, the, what's, the accuracy, what's the accuracy on the punching car? How we measure that performance? So it's like really diving deep into all the data. And, and before I wasn't into like data, you know, like numbers, just, you know, I didn't care so much about numbers. Right. I was more of an artist. The artist is the one that cares about really, you know, how the the experience, how the bus is gonna look like, how the clients are going to experience it when they're booking online, when they're booking uh, reservation, when they're booking the reservation through an agent. Now is, yeah, I love being the artist, but most importantly, I love profit, right? Yeah. So, and and in order to get to the profit, I need to understand the numbers. I need to understand the patterns that are happening in every department. And based on the numbers, kind of like what we were saying earlier. I am managing by those numbers. Is it customer service that I'm trying to improve? Okay, how many incident, incidents did we had, you know, last week? How many incidents did we had the following week? How many incidents did we had for the month? And what's the average per month? And now I have incentives for the team to track that data to, you know, and whether it's a bonus or an incentive because we already have the data that is telling us where our mouth sticks. Got it, got it. I love it. And what are your typical margins? It fluctuates between 10, um, 10% to 15%. And sometimes, especially with inflation, um, it could go down up to like 8%. Got it. Yeah. Got so it. It's, it's definitely a business that is very operational driven because you could lose your, which I already lost my hair in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's definitely a, a business that is 24-7. It's very um, operational driven, so you, you really need to keep 
your eye really close to to the operations and the finances to make sure that you hit those profit margins. Yeah, and then last question I ask you, what what do you work on every day? Because now you're able to work on the business as opposed to in the business, right? You've probably been doing that for years now, but what do you work on every day? What are you focusing on? I would say it fluctuates. Um, I used to love that statement, working on the business, but as you scale, sometimes I actually enjoy working in the business okay. because at one point, like for six to eight years, I was all about working on the business. And now when I drive around our accounts, when I am talking to, by the way, I love connecting with everybody. Whether it's the, and I treat everybody with the same level of respect that I try, that I, that I treat our, our board, that I treat the cleaners. Um, because when I talk to everybody in the business, I learn so much, right? I could talk to, like, for example, it's four o'clock right now and it's freaking quiet and no one's here. So, so just by being here, I know that there's something within the mechanics that I need to check. Right. The mechanics should be right. There should be two mechanics right now. Right. But we're here. It's like, I'm okay. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to get you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so, my intention. Correct. So, intention. So, so now I got to go back into my my CEO and say, hey, it's 4 o'clock. I've been here since 3 o'clock and I didn't see any mechanics. I didn't see any cleaners. What's and going on? And it's on tape too. That's, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> I got proof. I got receipts. Correct. <laughs> so, so it's just those little examples that now I'm able to say, okay, I'm identifying those patterns. And then to your question is, what is it that I'm working on? Again, I'm obsessed of success, and success for me is in many flavors and in many aspects, whether it's business, relationships, spirituality, uh, being a great dad and being a great leader overall. So what I'm constantly working on is to make sure that I'm optimizing all these different levers, optimizing that I'm becoming better as a leader in leadership, optimizing that I'm, I'm understanding the numbers better, that I'm Surrounding myself with other leaders that have, you know, 500 employees, a thousand employees that has, you know, they say that you don't, you know, you, you know, like if, if you haven't been into a city that it will be wise to hire a tour guide because you haven't been there. Yeah. So part of how I spend my time is with those tour guys that have been at the $50 million mark that have a thousand employees. So that way they can tell me, hey, Daniel, when you get to 30, 30 million in business, this is sort of the, the issues that you're going to have, and this is how you're going to mitigate them. Yeah. And and again, whether it's, you know, because for me, I will go back to success and and becoming a millionaire and all this different, however you want to define success, but I want to be rich in every aspect of life. And how the, that's, that's how I define being rich, where I'm killing it in my relationships, I'm killing it as a father, I'm killing it as, a, as an entrepreneur, not just in business. Because I got that got me in trouble back in the day too. Right. So it's just having a balance, not yeah. you know being well balanced. Not it's not all about business. Now, and and, that, and that's amazing. And what I'll what I'll point out too is like when we when we connected before we got on camera, like we were talking about social media and building a podcast. And here you are with a twenty million dollar business, and you start taking notes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I'm you're like oh I gotta take some notes. Like that is why you're successful. Correct. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't matter where you're at in, in, in this world. It's like, hey, I want to master this world too. Correct. Right. So you immediately got your pad and you're taking notes and, and asking questions. And just that right there, it makes me understand exactly why you are at where you're at today. Correct. <laughs> you and, know what and, I mean? And being well balanced. And I go back into being well balanced because if I'm taking notes or if I'm having this conversation with you and I'm not present, 
that I'm not able to really take action on all these nuggets that that we discussed, right? So just by being present, number one, I'm enjoying your company. I'm enjoying your company. I'm enjoying what you guys are doing. I'm part of it. I'm pregnant. It's like, dude, tell me more about your business and yeah. how did you conquer that? It's like, oh, that's interesting. But I'm present, right? Versus, oh, I wonder, you know, in which state I'm gonna go tonight and what kind of food or what, whatever, right? right. I'm, I'm present. So it's just part of being well balanced where I could have that energy that is driving me from all these different pillars of my life as well yeah i, I love it man i love it uh next five years for d dpv what, what do you got what's on the horizon definitely the uh the helicopter is on our on our <laughs> three-year horizon uh, yes we, by the way we put it on within our our senior leadership team to to plan it uh but most importantly is the the electrical vehicles is is something that is really in the uh forefront of our immediate uh goals to to really penetrate and and penetrate into the market uh, as i mentioned we already have some but no one has the crystal ball is still a a technology and 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 a wave of different components that is coming into the industry that we that the industry as a whole is learning and implementing so we want to be the we I don't, actually I, nowadays I'd be very careful with the words that I utilize. So I, I don't want to be. We want to be the pioneers in in the space, right? Like making sure that we're in the forefront of 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 the, that endeavor, and also the autonomous vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and and especially put, potentially moving into other markets. The you know nowadays with all the infrastructure that we have in place, with all this industry knowledge, we could replicate it into all the states and partnering up with other fortune 1000 uh, clients as well. And, and, and last acquiring other competitors as well is a, is another mm. department that I'm really excited about, uh, about creating a mergers and acquisitions team and, and really acquiring all the players in the industry. Okay. Have you guys done that at all yet? Or we have at a small, we have many years ago at a smaller scale, um, but not lately where we really want to, you know, have conversations with the key players in town and see if we could acquire those those yeah. folks. I love it, man. I love it. Uh, amazing story, man. So we're going to start to wrap. Um, I, I thank you for joining me today and, you know, being so hospitable here in, in your place. Uh, but before we do, traditionally, we have to always get a final thought from our guests, which is something spiritual, entrepreneurial. You've been dropping nuggets all day. So <laughs> this is just be one final one. I, I can't wait to hear what this one is. And then lastly, um, let everybody know where they can connect with you. Let everybody know about your podcast, because that's super important. Plug that so they can follow you there. And um, just where they can find you on LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever, and we'll we'll get out of here, man. Sure. So, for well, most important for all the listeners, and I, as I mentioned, ideas without actions are just brain farts. And my main goal and invitation to all the listeners to make sure that the nuggets that you that you hear from both of us say that that you actually execute them, you know, so that way they don't become brain farts. And how you could. Uh, learn more about dpv transportation uh you can find us on dpvtransportation.com you could find us on on linkedin uh you could find me on on instagram under dan p underscore dpv d as in daniel p as in paul v as in victor uh we also have a a, a podcast it's called the future of ground transportation where we speak about obviously electrical vehicles autonomous vehicles flying cars and, oh, and really understanding where, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah.
That's cool, man. All right, Hustle Fam, if you don't respect that, your whole perspective is whack. This has been another amazing conversation. You know what we do around this time. If you smell something burning, it is only a desire. Myself, DPV, Daniel Perez, we out. If you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and Hustle. Let's go.